This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Tonight, first of all, we are learning Leilui Nishmat Efrat Bat Shamai, Victor Ben Ruven, Hillel Ben Hillel. Okay, I'm going to ask you about that later. All right, we're also learning, also learning Leilui Nishmat Abraham Ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechazkel Ben Abraham, as well as Lefwach Shema to Chaya Esther Bas Barbara, as well to Fuach Lema and Psorot Avot for Cassandra Bat Pulo. Okay, uh, tonight we're going to be speaking about a topic that, it, it's one of those topics that's not, it's, the, the theoretical aspect of it is worth only so much. The real, the real growth over here, the real power over here is in the practical aspect. When you're actually implementing it into your life, this is something that it's not like will possibly change your life. If you do this, it will guarantee change your life. Like guarantee, the focus is really going to be on relationships, but it will change your life in all in all areas. So it's something that if you're able to tap into this, it's going to improve all areas of your life, not just your relationship. You know, there's a famous saying. I don't know why it's this is the famous saying, but it's happy wife, happy life. I don't know why it's not happy husband, happy. So maybe it doesn't rhyme with it, or it's just the woman will say you're happy when she says you're happy, and then you have to be happy. A wife, you have to, you know, she has to, has to be happy. A husband has to be told to be happy and be like, oh, okay, fine. So I guess I have to be happy now. But um, maybe it's the rhyming thing that makes a little bit more sense. Um, I would hope that would be the reason. But there is an idea that when you're in a healthy relationship, and it's not only a relationship with your husband, it's a relationship with your parents, it's a relationship with your employee. If you think about it, if you're in a bad relationship anywhere in your life, it affects your whole life. And if you're in, in a bunch of different relationships and they're all good, positive relationships, it could, it, even if you're in, in like an abusive friendship, it, it, it destroys your whole life. Uh, if you're in an abusive relationship or if your if parents are abusive, it destroys everything. But when, you're, when you have a healthy foundation, everything's going to change. I'm soon going to give you some examples on it. So yesterday, I, I, I'm, you know, I, I asked this question to a different group, and I'm going to ask it to you again, and I want to hear what you will say uh, to this. So think, don't think about it too much. So think about it. I'm going to ask you a question, and try to the, one of the first things that come to your mind, you know, spit it out. Do what you never should be doing, called word vomit, right? So let's practice that. So I'm going to ask you a question. The first thing that comes to your mind, what you think something is, that's what you that's what you want to say. So. The question is like this. The question is, what do you define as a good relationship? Okay. All right. Anybody else? Commitment. Okay. Healthy and boundaries. Commitment. Healthy is like that's like a like it's like an overall like it's all it's like what's a good relationship? Good relationship. Okay. <laughs> you know, like it's all which is true, but it's just healthy, but it kind of, so boundaries is an interesting one. I would have not have thought of that one. Anybody else have anything? Respect. Okay, respect. I got that. Okay, I got respect. I got respect. I got that I got last night. I got I got other I got very interesting ones. I got um, communication. That was a very big one. It was obviously a girl's uh, uh, oh trust, okay. Trust is important. Right, another foundation of of uh, of of trust and loyalty. So, comfort also. That's very close to where I was going to. Sacrifice, not sacrifice, but being so. So the thing about sacrifice is that when you sacrifice for your relationship, how you know it's a good relationship is you don't feel like it's a sacrifice. So that's. Right. So, so that's a good, that's a good point to go. Cause when you go and you say like, oh, I sacrificed so much for you, that, that means that you gave up something that you don't want to. Meaning that 
If somebody's sitting over there uh, in his basement and he's playing a video game and he's inhaling some incense and he's doing other things that's bringing him up to certain levels and he's enjoying himself and then he has an opportunity to, uh, I don't know, travel to space with Jeff Bezos or whoever is the, the other fake astronaut, I don't know, the other billionaire astronaut, there's like a few of them now, right? The, the, so you, you go to fly, what do you choose that you're, you're gonna do? Be like, wait a minute, but like, uh, you know, I'm gonna sacrifice my video game and my, you're gonna say like, it's not a sacrifice, I'll do it happily. And when you're sitting over there counting down to take off, saying your tefillah sadaq and shema probably at the same time, you're not going to be thinking about like, oh, what did I sacrifice to do that? In fact, the way that you're going to go, you're going to be so happy that you are, you, you're not going to feel that you gave up something. So when you're in a healthy relationship, you don't think that you gave up something if it's really like a good relationship. Be like, I want to do this for you. So it's not anymore something that like, oh, now I can't do it. Like, no, 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 I, I want to do this. So it's no more something that it's a sacrifice for my end. But really the the... And I'll tell you why I came to the question. The question was, what is considered a good relationship? And I came to an answer that's not a correct answer, but it's an answer. And that is, how do you define a good relationship? If you're happy. Okay. Now, what? That was my first thing. Oh, really? I thought that was so, like, cheesy. So, so that, it's, it's, the, it's correct and incorrect at the same time. So I'll tell you what, because what, why, do why does that idea first come up, when you have somebody, let's say I'm sitting in front of a couple, right, and one of the first things that they come up, if they have an issue, otherwise they're not sitting, it'll be just weird, I don't know what you're doing, you're having a great relationship, uh, just to let you know that, like, alright, good to know, they come in, there's an issue, so why do they usually say, we're not happy, or I'm not happy, or the wife says, we're not happy, because she speaks for both of them, and the husband says, I'm not happy, you know, so they go, there's, just, and then, okay, what follows, okay, so there's no communication, there's no loyalty, there's no respect, there's no, and then there's a lot of things that follow it, but for whatever reason, the secular world and the modern world we focus that a bad relationship is an, uh, we're, we're just unhappy. That, that's re- usually when people come to some friction in a relationship, that's how they present it to the other spouse. Like, I'm not happy where I am right now. Right? Which is, again, whether it's right or wrong is a completely different discussion, but it's something that comes up. And, and it's, a, it's a really good point, even though it's not correct, like that's not what defines a relationship. Obviously, happiness should be coming out of the relationship, but that's not what defines it. But when you go and you focus on happiness, there's something very interesting. So the, you know, the, the idea of, of uh, I, I find the topic of happiness extremely important. I speak about it often, and even if I don't make the titles of it, I usually sneak it in something about happiness. And uh, you, it, large companies invest tremendous amount of money, especially when it's uh, commission-based. And they want, when, when an employee is happier, they're more productive. When an employee is healthier psychologically, they're more productive. So they, they have psychologists on staff that they're able to go and they help. Like, where else? Do you, now schools are starting to do that as well, from my understanding. Where they have a you know psychologist at staff, I, I I was very impressed to to hear this like you know Jewish schools that they have you know psychologists. I remember speaking to a, a, you know a girl and she was in high school and she had some issues and she's like yeah I'll just speak to my school psychologist. I'm like what school do you go to? <laughs> like oh, really? I'm like that's awesome. I'm like I hope that they all take this because I think it's very important. Kids go through certain things and they don't always have someone to speak to. And here they have a uh, you know a way to to speak with. But in any case, when when you go and and you 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 have a calm and collected. Mind mindset, you're happy, 
Everything around you changes. Everything around you is more productive. And I'll tell you like this, when somebody's anxious, so a lot of people get anxious when they fly, right before they fly, uh, and they're nervous about this, they're nervous about that. You could see the tension. And if, if there's a long line right away, they're like, oh, I can't believe I have to wait for through this TSA and I have to take off the shoes. And they're very, like, they're not, they're very, like, zoned in. I don't know if anybody here has ever had, like, a panic, panic attack, but, like, it's like, it's like, it's like a, a, an anxiety is like a mini panic attack where you're, like, zoned in. You, like, you can't focus on anything else. You're not able to, you know, handle the stimuli. You're not able to use your brain the correct way. You're not, you're not coming to the correct conclusions. So when you're, that's what the anxiety, but when you're unhappy it, and you're happy, your actions change completely. Like imagine the scenario. So imagine you have a guy that was uh, diagnosed with a very, very severe illness and he was diagnosed that the doctor told him that he's going to only have two months left to live. Like imagine somebody hearing this information. He's going to be destroyed. And then the doctor goes and says, but it's not conclusive. You have to come back in 48 hours. Then we're going to reassess. And then we're going to come and we're going to tell you whether you have it or you're not. It's like, Doc, can you, you're killing me over here. Can you just do it right now? Can you do it over here? Why do I got to wait for, you know, for 48 hours? The doctor says we got to wait. He gave him all the medical terminology. He says, we can't do it. We have to wait until, we have to wait until, uh, um, until 48 hours, until two days. So can you imagine that what this guy's going through, thinking that he has two months left to live and he has, and how is he supposed to deal with that? So he has this, this 48 hours of pure anxiety, no menuchas and nefesh, no settledness, no happiness, nothing. He comes in 48 hours later, they run the blood work, they run all the tests, the doctor says, I have amazing news for you, it's, you know, what was in, and he shows him the two results. The first result, it says positive, the second result says conclusively that it's negative, it was a false positive, and really you're okay, you have a new lease in life. Now imagine this guy leaves a doctor, leaves a hospital, and he's driving home. And as he's driving home, there is an old, you know, person that's driving, you know, like the Florida driving, the left blinker was on since they left Florida and they're driving to New York. And, you know, all you see is just a hat, right? They're looking through the steering wheel as they turn. And uh, she makes a slow turn and he, she doesn't see his, you know, this car and she nicks the, you know, the scratches a little bit on the side. They both pull over, they look at it, it's a small scratch. How do you think this person's going to respond? He just got a new lease in life. Any normal person would be like, you know what, it, don't worry about it, it's fine. And she's sitting there, she's crying, she has her cane, she has her walker, she takes out her wheelchair, she's wheeling, I'm so sorry, I'll give you my insurance. She's like, no, don't worry about it, everything is okay. She's like, you're sure? She, why are you such a good, like, unbelievable, you had this little fender bender and everything is fine, and you send her on her way. Imagine you have another scenario where you just made a tremendous amount of money. And you made, you know, you're, you're, you're so elated and you're, I don't know why you're driving. I don't know why all my, I guess maybe I was driving today. Whatever it is, you're driving down the road and uh, someone sees that you're Jewish. So they roll down the, their window. They tell you to roll down their window, but they don't look happy. And then they start yelling at you. Some blessing you, waving at you with only a finger, and they just give you all the, you know, like all the happiness, you know, like just like that they have going. I tell you, I left shul an hour ago before I came here, and I was walking, and my car was like three blocks away because we're in Brooklyn, right? So that's all, yeah. So uh, I, I, I was walking, and there was a, there was a guy that was walking right out towards me, and let's just say that I heard this guy. He had headphones in. Like wired headphones gives you a little idea, uh, you know, like who this we're dealing with. And in, nowadays, wired headphones, like what is that? So um, he's he's like a block and a half away, and he's listening. And I can tell you, I, I know exactly what he's listening to, not because I could hear it, because he was literally screaming on the top of his <laughs> lungs of exactly what was going on, like what what he you know he was he, listening to. And 
I could just tell you it wasn't, you know, spin the dreidel songs. It was a different type of song. And to the point that I saw people literally cross the street. Like it was, it was so loud. And it wasn't just the, he was also doing the movements. I, I don't know if you could tell what type of music he was listening to, but it had a lot to do with something like moving his hands this way, moving his hands that way, and then he's pointing at somewhere, and then he says other few love words that can be mentioned anywhere, anytime, and literally screaming, and I'm walking to him, and I'm like thinking, I'm like, okay, what am I doing? Like, am I crossing the street? Because like these type, of, like he wasn't singing, he was screaming. You heard it from literally screaming at the top of the line. I was like, oh, I love it. Welcome to Brooklyn, right? I literally just come back here from New Jersey, and this is my first sight that I see. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm gonna cross. Maybe I'm gonna leave. And I was preparing for this class, so my mindset was all about like of gratitude and being calm, being you know collected. And it was amazing because like all I just like I, for whatever reason I don't know if I'm smart or not, I decided to walk. Like right past by him. Either I was going to get a nice story out of it, <laughs> or, which, you know, like I was just going to get to my car safely. And Baruch Hashem, I got to my car safely, and apparently I got a story out of it also. But I was thinking, I was like, imagine if I would have had a bad day, or I was very anxious, or I was not, like, I would have seen that, I'd be like, my, my reaction would have been so different. I would have crossed the street, and that might have been, you know, when someone's, when you see someone of a certain, you see somebody walking towards you, and you cross the street, and, you know, sometimes they don't just get offensive inside, they get offensive outside. They're like, what, you think I'm going to go in and I'm going to rob you? I'm like, no, not, not at all. And they're like, well, I am robbing you. Like, give me your money. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, like, so you go, you're like, you're like, what you're, what you're going to respond to is going to depend on how you're feeling. If you're anxious, anxiety, you're going to be staying, you know, and, and again, I'm not saying that was the right choice. I was literally going back and forth. Should I cross? Should I not cross? What's going to be right? Until we locked eyes. And that's when I was like, this is uh, this story is over. Like I can't, I can't just like lock eyes with him, and he's literally screaming while looking at me. We're doing eye contact, and he's telling me that he's not working for any slavery owner anymore. And so, like, I'm like, this is, a, yeah, oh yeah, it was an interesting song. I'll tell you that much. It didn't make any sense to me. I don't know who writes these lyrics, but whatever it was, it was, it was definitely on the interesting side. But imagine if you are, were anxious, had a bad day, you were going to respond to this completely different. And, you know, look, look at the flip side on a different of the, of the scenarios. Let's say somebody just lost a lot of money. And somebody goes and rolls out the window and starts waving certain fingers and, you know, giving you some nice blessings. And you go over there and you say, oh yeah, really, you want some of this? Let's pull over over here and let's have it out right now. Of course, women are not going to do that. But like in the, in the men's scenario, it'll be like, this is what road rage is. Imagine somebody that goes and leaves the hospital saying the doctor says that you you don't have 48, you know, you don't have the, the two months that I thought you had. You really have a month left to live. And imagine someone gives him a fender bender. Granted, he might not care about going to this because he has a month left to live, but he's going to respond to that situation completely different. So the way that you're feeling is going to depend on how you respond to certain, how it's going to be your reaction to certain scenarios. In fact, to every scenario. So when you, when you think about it, if you are happy, you will have completely different responses to everyday scenarios in your life. If you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're sad, you're going to have completely different responses. If, you're, if you think about it, for people that are in school or in college or recently have been to college, if you're in a good mood 
and you're studying, you're able to you're able to fly through the material. If you're in a bad mood, if you're just like upset, you're not able to get through the material. If you're in a bad mood and you're listening to a class, you're not focusing on it. You're like spacing out and dreaming about something else, and then you wake up halfway not knowing what, and then you try to make it. You just keep on falling deeper and deeper. But if you're so much more productive, so much more effective, so much more efficient when you're happier, when you're self-centered, when you have uh, uh, in this inner peace. So. The Chot of Leblin goes and says that the secret for this happiness, the secret for this scenario, you know, this, this, this inner peace is gratitude. If you are able to tap into the power of gratitude, you will be able to have this peace that you have, this inner peace throughout your entire life. Like, it's such an amazing idea. Like, I can't even begin to emphasize it. You know, this is something usually what I try to do is if I speak about a certain topic, any topic that I speak on, I have to implement. Otherwise, I feel like I can't speak about it. So if I speak about it, we're not like I'm implementing that. I'm speaking about, about gratitude, I'm implementing that. Gratitude is something that I've been working on already for years. And, and I can tell you with like 100%, you know, uh, you know, I don't know what the correct word is, not accuracy, but 100% dot, 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 that it changes your life. If you're a grateful person, it changes your life. And the Chos of Leblin. The Chos of Leblin. So... I want to share with you something. This is something that I've said before, but I feel like it's so important that when I speak at Sheva Brachos, I speak about this Torah. I don't care if I go to one every every day of the week, and it's the same group of people. Uh, you know, I, and I, they ask me to speak. I nine out of ten times I'm saying this this Vart because I think this is the most powerful powerful for whatever reason when people go and they speak at Shavu Brachos they feel it's their responsibility to teach the, hus- the, the wife the husband and wife how to be you know what, what, what it means to be a marriage and it's hilarious sometimes I see like single people that they're 20 they're speaking to the, they've never been married a day in their life and they're saying you know what it means to be a good marriage you know like, like yeah what does it mean yeah you know master you know like but, but it's nice it's a nice idea but this 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 thought I think it's so powerful so amazing that it will change your life in marriage and then all other relationships. So the Gemara Kedushin goes and tells us that we know that when you get married, uh, you, you, there, is, there is something physical that needs to be done. There's, a, there's like a monetary value that nowadays we use a ring, a monetary value that you sort of make a kinyan, you make a, an acquisition, make a purchase, so to speak, between a husband and a wife with, with, the, with the ring. And the Gemara says, where, where does this originate from? It originates from a Gzeira Shava from state, from, from, from Ephron. Uh, it's is de Ephron. I'm not going to go through all the details on that. I've spoken about it many times. But the idea is like this. The idea is that Avram and Ephron had a purchase contract. They had a purchase deal. They purchased a cave. Uh, Avram purchased a cave from Ephron. And uh, they use a similar terminology to where we use a terminology for a husband and a wife getting married. So we, the Gzeir Shavah means we say, take those same two terminologies and we learn one law from, you know, from another. So we learn from here that this is where you're supposed to go. You're supposed to purchase, sort of, sort of speak, purchase like your, your, your spouse. Now the question is, is that really what it is? Like a, like a, you, you know, you purchase, it's not as a slave over here. Depending on which type of community you're listening to, but yeah, sometimes it's a slave for the wife, sometimes it's a slave for the husband. But really, the, honestly, like that's not what the Torah is teaching us. What is it telling us? Why are we learning the most sacred, beautiful relationship between a husband and wife from a from a real estate deal? Like that's where we're learning it from. So when you look at this real estate deal, Avram Avinu goes over to Ephron and he says, "I want to buy this cave." Now, this cave 
to Ephron had no monetary value. It didn't make any sense. It was like a cave in desert. Like, what use of it is going to be to him? It was no use to him. So even to the point, it's like, you know, just take it. Like, no, no, no. Ephron said, I want to pay for it. Okay, fine. You want to pay for it. So from going to like not paying anything, all of a sudden Ephron says, you want to pay for it? Okay, fine. Two billion dollars. I'll just give it to you. You know, like, like, wait a minute. One second it was worth nothing. All of a sudden now it's 400, you know, silver talents. It's worth so much. Do you, Ephron didn't say anything. He says, you want that, that amount of money? 400? No problem. He weighed him out the, 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 you know, the money that he requested and he gave him the, and he gave him the money. Now, when you look at these two people, they left the, this, this business deal, right? Avram took his money and he bought the Mara Samachpela, he bought the, the desert and the cave, he bought the, 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 the burial site where he was going to bury, uh, you know, Sarah. So, Ephron leaves the deal thinking like, are you kidding me? You know like what I just did? I had a piece of land that was worth nothing. And I got so much money from it. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, sometimes when people make a purchase, they want to make, they want to feel like they got the better, they got a good deal. Jews especially, right? We have to feel a good deal. That's why some Jew stores like 50% off is just the sign, right? That's the way the store is called going out of business. Like that's what the store is called. So you go and, and you, when you realize that you have a good deal, that's why you ask a Jew, where'd you get this? And then, you know, like, oh, I got this from here. 50% off, 60% off, 75%. Doesn't matter what it is, whether you need it or not, but if it's 90% off, you have to buy it, otherwise it's an Avera. You're going to have to do that in Yom Kippur. You have to you know, answer for that. So, so you, know, you feel good when you have a good deal. So over here, Ephron says, I got the best deal possible. Are you kidding me? I just sold this piece of land that's worth nothing, and I got so much money for it. That's how Ephron leaves the deal. Avram Avinu leaves the, leaves the deal. and be like, are you kidding me? This is Adam and Chava are buried here. He says, I got the best end. I paid only 400 for this? This would have, I would have paid triple for that amount, amount for, for this, for this amazing piece of land. So everybody left the deal thinking they got the better end of the deal. That's how you're supposed to go into relationships. You have to go into the relationship thinking that I got the better end of the deal. That is a lesson that we learn from, from Ephron and from, from marriage. Then when you go, you have to think like, wow, my wife, she's amazing. You have to think, wow, my husband, he's amazing. And it's not, by the way, a husband and wife. It's every relationship. My parents are amazing. I got the best parents possible. Oh, but they did this and this and this and this. A whole long scroll of everything bad that they ever did to you. But when you think about it that way, you're thinking about it. It's a negative, a negative way. Again, there's abuse. I'm not, we're not, Disclaimer. Anything we're talking about today, I am not dealing with abusive situations, not for, in any case, because, you know, somebody did mention that to me, uh, um, you know, yesterday, and it's something that I, we're not dealing with it today. Today we're dealing with kind of healthy relationships that we have to focus on. So, when two people go into a relationship thinking that I am the lucky one, that I'm the lucky one, that is going to be the healthy relationship. If you go and you're thinking, no, He's the lucky one. Do you know what a catch I am? And I, I, when you're going like that, right away you're starting down. So the, well, I find this such an amazing lesson, not only for, you know, for Achatan and Kala, but for anybody. When you're going into a relationship, you have to think that you're the lucky one. If you think they're the lucky one, your whole mindset is going to change. Because if you feel you're lucky, if you feel you had a new lease in life, if you feel you just made a ton amount of money and you're, nothing is going to bother you, then if they forget to take out the garbage, or if they forget to cook you dinner, or if it didn't come out nice, or if, it didn't, if they said something, you'd be like, okay, whatever, you married me, like, I'm a nobody, like, are you kidding me? Like, I still don't know why you married me, like, what do you see in me? Like, it's unbelievable. Again, borderline self-esteem issue, but we'll talk about it at a different time. But when you think about it, be like, wow, it's unbelievable, I'm so lucky, I can't believe that I got someone like you. And the other one says, I can't believe that 
I got someone like you. So when you think like that, then you don't sweat the small stuff. So your relationships are, are, are better. So the question that we have to ask, so how do we get that feeling? How do we get that feeling that I feel so lucky? I feel so blessed that I am in this relationship, whether it's with my friends, whether it's with my, you know, siblings, my relatives, my, uh, my husband, my, whatever it is, any relationship, how do we get, how do we tap into that feeling? So the simple answer is, is that a grateful person is generally happy. A ungrateful person is generally sad, depressed, and you know, unhappy. And when you go through different examples, we're not going to get it being that that's getting a little bit late. We're not going to get through all the details in that. But if you tap into the, the, the aspect of gratitude, then all of a sudden you're not looking at the deficiencies of your spouse. You're looking at the positive of your spouse. You're not looking at the deficiencies of your parents, but you're looking at the positive of what they've given you. So when you change your mindset and you start seeing the positive and you're seeing things that you need to be grateful for, all of a sudden you're going to start feeling lucky. You're going to start, when you start feeling unlucky is when you start comparing them to the other people that you see. That's not, that's not focusing on the, on the positive of your relationship. That's not focusing on the positive of other people's relationship. Which let me tell you something because I speak to a lot of people, Baruch Hashem, and whatever you think other people have going for them, they don't. All right? I'll tell you like this. I have it. Well, maybe because I only speak, people only speak to me about negative things, obviously. They're not coming to me to tell me the positive stuff. But I'll tell you like this. People that you think that everything is nice and dandy, everybody's got stuff. Everybody's got stuff. Nobody's just, you know, has, has no issues whatsoever. But when you focus on your positives, and you focus on the relationship positive, and you're focusing on the positive in general, your, your mindset's going to be healthier. When you're focusing on the positive what, what, what God has given you, then everything is, is so much easier, so much better, so much happier. You're, you're a happier person. If you're a happier person, then you're dealing with things very differently. You know, in life, there's, there's always two ways to look at things. There's a, a story that goes back quite, uh, not that many years ago, but a few years ago in Bnei Brak. And the, it was Erev Rosh Hashanah, and there was about 150 people waiting on Chazon Ish in Bnei Brak, which is a very busy street in Bnei Brak, waiting to go to Yerushalayim for Rosh Hashanah. And one 402 bus, Agit bus came, it's a bus going from Bnei Brak to Yerushalayim, came up, everybody very gently, as they do it, go up into the bus, and it ships off and it goes next. And then another bus, another 50 people go out, and then the, they're, they're waiting for the final bus. There's another 50 people. Fits, fits, fills another whole bus. They're looking over there. There's like no bus. They're waiting 5, 10, 15 minutes. There's no bus. It's getting closer and closer to Rosh Hashanah. They're like, what are we going to do? People start calling Eged. Like, you know, you got to, what's going on? When's the next bus coming? The Eged like, no, no, we don't got another bus. They're like, what do you, he says, there's one bus stop over here has, has a full busload of people. It's like, what do you mean? He says, you got to send another bus. They're like, we're sorry, we, we don't, we don't have anything to send. And people are calling again. People are like, what are we, these are people that they made plans for Rosh Hashanah. They have, you know, it's not like you know, over there in Bnei Brak. And you go to your time, if you want to go to a certain shul, Everything is packed. You gotta make sure that you've got yourself a seat. They bought seats over there. They have all their food over there. They have all their, part of the family is over there. How are they gonna go? Are they gonna make Rosh Hashanah over here when everything's over there? So some people went and they call cabs and they start paying triple the amount of the money to go and take a cab from Nebak to Yerushalayim, paid hundreds of dollars just to get there. But a few people just kept on waiting and they were kept on calling again. They kept on calling the bus company. Please send another bus. Please, please. About an hour goes by and people are about to give up. And all of a sudden there's an Egged bus that pulls up. The problem was, is that instead of saying 402 to Yerushalayim, it says 318. 318 goes to Rehovot. And it pulls up to the bus stop, and it's an empty bus. And the bus driver opens up the door, and uh, he's waiting over there. But meanwhile, nobody there is going to Rehovot. Everybody there is going to Jerusalem. They're going to Yerushalayim. And he's sitting and sitting. He's waiting a minute, two minutes. No, nobody's getting on. So he begins to close the door. 
as he closes the door, there's a fast-thinking, you know, Kolo guy that's sitting, you know, back, jumps up and puts his hand by the door. And he says, you know, you know, the driver, you know, maybe is it possible, can you take us to, you know, Yerushalayim, you're an empty bus. He's like, take you to Yerushalayim. He's like, how? It's impossible. How am I going to do that? He says, I'm sitting over here. I am the bus that goes to, uh, you know, to Chovat. I can't just switch my route to take you to that. And then all of a sudden, people hear him asking that. Everyone just come in and be like, please, you got to help us. He says, my husband and my children are in, in Yerushalayim. He says, I can't. I'm going to be here all alone, you know, for Rosh Hashanah. You got to help us. Meanwhile, there's another, you know, there's another woman came. He says, look at all these orphans. They have no feet. You gotta help them. And you get, they're all in strollers. And then, you know, and they're going and they're saying, like, oh, you know, like, all of a sudden, all the old people have back problems. And they're like, listen, you can't do this to an old man. You know, like, they're walking before they were skipping rope over there. And all of a sudden, they're like, please, you gotta help us. Everybody's begging this driver, begging and pleading, please take us to your shrine. We're gonna be lost without you. We have nothing. We have no seats. We have no food. We have no place to be. You gotta help us. You gotta take us. This bus driver is hard broke. It's Arab Rosh Hashanah. You know, like, what are you supposed to do? There's 50 people going over here. So he does one of these things, you know, looks back and forth, and he thinks for a second. He's like, yalla, you know what? Everybody on the bus, we're going to take you to your slide. And they were like, what? Like, they were, they jumped. Everybody was coming into the bus from all different angles or climbing up through the roof and propelling down. And they were just trying to get, make sure, like, this was the last bus. Everyone's getting on this bus. They were sitting in the suitcase around the bottom. Don't Everybody got into the bus. As they got onto the bus, one by one, they started blessing this bus driver. That, you know, blessing him like a kubal of the Baba Sali's grandson, blessing you and your grandchildren and your ancestors, and that come before you and after you. And they were like, you don't know what you've done, and you're going to have an amazing year. You're going to own, you know, like blessings from like today until tomorrow. And he's sitting there, and he's like, amen, amen, you know, amen. He's like, in seventh heaven. They're going and they're driving 40 minutes, about an hour drive. They're going 40 minutes and there's a bachar. There's a single guy sitting two seats behind the driver. And he goes up to the driver and he says, you know, now I get the driver. You got Something's been bothering me really, like this whole time. He says, I didn't want to tell you this earlier because I didn't want you to turn around. And, but like it's really been bugging me. Like, how did you just do that? Like, you're, you're a bus that goes to Rehovot. You're to a different, even if you, even if they call you up and say, like, where are you? You can say there's traffic, you know, like, I'm stuck over here. You should have been in Rehovot like half hour ago. Like, you know, like, it's right there. And furthermore, it's like, they have GPS tracking on all the buses. Like, what are you going to answer to them? Like, how did you take that upon yourself? Like, I, you know, now we're close. I'm hoping that you're not going to turn around and realize that you take us all the way. So the bus driver turns around to him. While he's driving, it's Israel, right? It's fine. It's self-driving. Um, uh, and uh, angels drive over there. Um, uh, so he goes, turns around, and he smiles at him and winks at him, and he says, I'll tell you a secret. He says, I am really the bus to Jerusalem. I'm really the 402. He says, what happened was, is that we got a bunch of calls coming to the station. He says, you didn't send enough buses. Where are we? There's so many people here. And, and everybody was like, you know, they're right. We didn't send enough buses. But nobody wanted to take that route. You know, imagine coming in, Arab Hashanah, where people are so stressed, so anxious, and they're feeling like, you know what we're talking about? They're, they're like, they're, and you come in for, be like, what are you talking, imagine you would have came 402 and be like, are you kidding me? He says, we're sitting over here, we're waiting, where are you? How come you didn't come? We don't have respect for people. This is Rosh Hashanah, people are expecting to be able to get there. People would have started, nobody wanted the route. So finally I decided, I said, you know, guys, I'll take the route. And they were like, are you crazy? You're going to be berated with insults with who knows what. So he goes, don't worry. He says, watch. Now I'm going to take the route. Not only am I not going to get, I'm going to get blessings. I'm like, what are you kidding me? Like, how is that even? You're, you're drunk. You're like, there's no way. So he goes and he says, right before, I left the bus station, I was 402. Right before I pulled into this stop, I switched it to 318. 
And I waited for people to, you know, to, to convince me. And once they convinced me, now all of a sudden I'm doing them a favor. If I'm doing them a favor, I don't owe them anything. I'm doing them a favor. All of a sudden, it's Yishtabach Bob bless you, from today until tomorrow. What changed? What changed if you think about it? It's the same bus that took them from today. The only thing that changed was their mindset that now he did, doesn't owe me something, but rather he's doing something for me. So instead of screaming at him, saying, how come you're late? How come you didn't come earlier? How come, how come, how come, how come? How come? you doing that instead I'm wow thank you so much same action that came out the difference is your mindset the difference is that you realize that you thought that this guy is doing you a favor look at how much our mindsets can change from being so we could have been so angry that whole Rosh Hashanah could have been ruined you could have said things that you would have regretted but instead what happened was is that you went and you realized that this guy is doing me a favor and if he's doing me a favor then how am I going to react in a negative way I go and I start blessing it from today until tomorrow like imagine if you start living life that way where you're looking that everything is a favor when you're looking and saying like wow I could just look at what God did for me look at what my husband did me. Look at what my parents did for me. Not saying the negative, how come you didn't come earlier? But you came to pick me up. Okay, maybe you forgot about me in the rain for two hours, but you came. You know, like, okay, so you look at the positive, all of a sudden your reactions, your emotions is going to be completely different. The, you know, Revelio Dessler goes and says that, you know, why, why so many people are miserable nowadays? Goes and says, you know, we live in a day and age where we are constantly being told you deserve the best in life, right? You don't settle for anything. You know, like, you know, there is, it's sort of like a, I don't want to say like a mother thing, because a mother should say that you're very special and you deserve the best. But like, n- relax, all right? You're not that special, okay? Like, let's be a little bit honest. You're, you know, you've got issues, right? We all got issues. You got, you're not that, you deserve the best. Why do you deserve the best? Like, when you have that mindset of like, no, I deserve more, then you're not, you're never gonna be happy. You're never gonna be thankful for it. If you go to what God gives you, you know how many people I talk to, I'm like, why is God not doing this to me? I'm doing this and this and this, and they have questions against God. And they're complaining against God because God didn't do it for you. Like, why does God have to do that for you? Why does, why does he owe you that? God doesn't owe us anything. Everything that God gives us is a matnas it's, it's a gift that we get. So if we think like, wow, it's unbelievable. Look what HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave me. Look at how amazing it is. You're thinking, your, your mindset is completely different. Says Rav Dasar, we're in a day and age that we think we deserve everything. And when you think you deserve everything and you don't get that, you're upset, you're sad. But if you think that you deserve nothing, again, borderline self-esteem, different class. If you think that you deserve nothing and you get something, you're so thankful. You're, 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 you're always going to be in a happy state of mind, a happy mood. You know, this is something that you have to think about in your relationships between your spouse, between anybody, but most importantly, your relationships with God. I, I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to that have sup- such a warped relationship with God that... You know, they come and they say, okay, fine, I, you know, let's say they want to get married. So they tried to be more religious and it didn't work. Or they tried to go to more and it didn't work. So then they, instead of doing an introspection and be like, maybe I have to look at something different. Maybe I have to focus on something different. Maybe not. Maybe it's just not the time yet. Who knows? But they start complaining at God. Why is God doing this to me? 
Like, why is God? The second that I hear, the, the second I hear, like, why is God doing something, I know this is already not an intellectual question, it's an emotional question. Because, what, you're going to ask me? Like, okay, let me run up there and let me ask. How do you expect, nobody could say, why is God not answering you? Like, I have no idea. I, nobody knows why is God not answering you. But when you're having that question, why is God not doing X, Y, and Z, that's not an intellectual question. That's an emotional question. You're upset. Why are you upset? Because you feel like you deserve something. And if you feel like you deserve something and you didn't get it, then all of a sudden you get upset. But if you feel like you don't deserve something, and then you don't get it, you're not getting upset. If you feel like you don't deserve something and you get something, imagine the, the euphoria, the happiness that you have. You know, you walk outside, and when you, you begin to, to just like appreciate life, your whole, like, it's really like you really do hear the birds chirping. Your whole, your whole life changes. When you walk outside and you're able to breathe the fresh air, you, you, you know, you're, you're able to go outside, you don't have to wear a coat. Okay, granted, today it's a little bit extra for that, you know, you know, but, but, you know, there's always a positive to look at it. You know, like I was in shul, and I hear these two people, you know, they were st- sitting behind me after davening, they were complaining about like, oh, it's so hot. I don't know what this thing has to do, the, the, the weather topic. I don't know who introduced this to the small talk community, but whatever it is, like the, the like, how is the weather, like, we're this, like, who cares? Like, that's talking about something that has absolutely no value. Yeah, it's a hot day. Yeah, super hot. It's just like, yeah, white ceilings. Yeah, super white. You know, like, we, we're, like, there's no, it's just like a small talk. And what happens is, is that nine out of ten times that people are having a small talk, it's always a complaint. It's not like, wow, it was a sunny day today. Like, I've never heard, like, small talk where it's like, yeah, you know, like, you know, it's unbelievable. You know, the heat wave. I just got a good sauna, shivitz outside that I needed it for so long. Like, oh, you know, it rained the whole day. Yeah, and then I don't have to water my grass. It's never in the pot. It's always like, oh, it rained. Oh, it's too sunny. Oh, it's too that. It's for always focusing on the negative. Always, never, never for a second stopping and focusing on the positive. You know, in Parshas Baloscha, the... Parshas Baloscha speaks about Moshe of Aaron. I'm thinking if I have to switch this into two, spread this into two classes. I don't know what happens. Like some, we're, I don't even, I didn't even make so much material. I, I don't, okay, whatever. This is things that I should be thinking inside, and I'm thinking outside. Okay, so, um, Moshe and, um, in, in, in the end of Parshas Baloscha, you know, the, 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 the Psukim go and speak about that Aaron and Miriam spoke ill about Moshe, specifically about his wife. And there's, it doesn't say straight out what the, the issue was, but it goes on and the Mepharshim go and speak about what the issue was. So many of the Mepharshim go and they say, like, the, he separated from his wife. And they said, why are you separating from your wife? And, you know, Moshe was always need to be on call to speak to HaKadosh Baruch so he separated from his wife. So Aaron and, and Miriam said, but we also speak to HaKadosh Baruch we don't have to separate from your wife. So that was what some Mepharshim speak about that say that this is what they were complaining to Moshe, like, why are you separating from your wife? The Moshe of Zakanian brings down a different, uh, uh, you know, a different interpretation. He goes and says, you know what they were complaining about? They go over to Moshe Rabbeinu and says, Moshe Rabbeinu, you marry this woman when you are a poor shepherd. Now you're the leader of the Jewish nation. And back then, the Jewish nation, this is like right after they received the Torah, they were on the, everybody was talking about the Jewish nation. This was like the, the, the most highest leadership, you know, possible. Every, you know, they, they escaped Mitzrayim with all these miracles. They got the Torah and God spoke to them. The whole world, the sea split, like crazy stuff. This is Moshe Rabbeinu, that's like Jewish nation at the highest level. And they're saying that you married this woman when you were like, you know, it's time for maybe an upgrade. You have somebody more on your level. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, well, says, how do I do that? He says, where's my Akar Satov? Where's my gratitude? He says, she married me when not only when I was a poor person, I was a fugitive. He was running away from, from, you know, from Paro. He had nothing. He had nothing going for him. And he says, and she stuck by me and now I'm going to give her up? 
Now I'm going to throw it all away? He says, there's no way. He says, this is the hakaras atov that I have for my wife. I will never be able to. That's what's interesting. The, the psukim go and says, b'chol beisi nemanhu. He was my whole house. B'chol beisi is another terminology for what? For a wife, for a woman. He says, but he is faithful. What does that mean? That he will stick through no matter what. Moshe Rabbeinu says, I can't. I have a hakaras atov no matter what. I have to stick through. How many people in a relationship, they go and sometimes they think, okay, we were on the same level. And then one got higher, one got lower, and be like, okay, now we don't match. Now again, when you're dealing with spirituality, there is some questions that need to go on. That's something that you have to speak to a rabbi with. But like sometimes you think, okay, like I worked on myself and he didn't work on himself. Or, uh, you know, different areas, like he sits at home all day and I'm sitting and working, I'm making all the money. Like, and you feel like you're not on the same level that you were once started. And you think, okay, like maybe, like maybe I should upgrade. Maybe this is not who I, so when you start thinking like that, everything starts looking at negative. Every starts, you start looking, looking at focus focusing on only what you're missing and now what you have. When you start looking at what you're missing, you will never ever be happy. And that's why you have people that could be multi-billionaires. They have everything, but they're still looking at what's next. And they're still, they're never, and uh, granted, it's a, it's a great business model because you want to grow, you always have to look for the next step. But it's a, a terrible internal characteristic trait model. When you're always looking at what, ne- what next, then you can never appreciate life. You know, there was a guy that used to always say, like, you know, like, he desperately wanted to get married. And he wanted to get married so badly that he said, like, you know, like, this is what's going to make me happy. It's going to change my life. And he goes, and one of his rabbis goes and says, you know, like, marriage, sometimes there's difficulties. Sometimes there's arguments. Sometimes he's like, yeah, but don't worry about it. He says, he wanted to get married so long. He says, my wife, I'll be the best husband ever. I've heard that statement so many times. I can't tell you how many that. It's funny because I never heard a woman say that. I heard a man say that all the time. Well, a woman shouldn't say she'll be the best husband ever. But I heard it from my man. I'll be the best husband ever. So many times. And they go, and, and granted, they really believe in that. They really believe they work so hard. They're great and they're going to give it all. And you know what? It's going to go great for the first week, first two weeks, first month, first three months, first six months. But what happens when you get used to it? What happens when you don't appreciate the newness of it? You know, you have a new car. And, uh, well, nowadays, I don't know who can have a new, whatever. Like, you know, you have like a new car. I, you, I don't know if it's a, maybe it's a guy thing. And polishing it. I remember I once went to, uh, you know, I had a, it was a student of mine, not a friend. It was a student of mine that, you know, he was a, such a messy person. Like, what, like some guy, whatever. Um, his car, he had a hole in his trunk. He had this netted box, I don't know what you call it, where you could store stuff. He had a whole cleaning supply closet for his car in there. There was a microfiber thing. There was like a little spritzer. I'm like, this guy hasn't changed his bed sheets, I could say with confidence, in many moon cycles, right? Many sun cycles probably also. Like, and he goes in, and he's sitting over there. The car is spotless. There's something over there. It's new. It's fresh. You appreciate everything. Oh, you can't eat in this car. You know, like, are you kidding me? And he's sitting over there and everything is tip-top shape. You know, it gets a little muddy. He's sitting over there and he's cleaning his rims because, you know, people are obviously looking at the rim. And then the whole mindset of that, that, that people have in their cars where, you know, it's something, I get, it's a guy thing. And I always laugh when I, when I see it because you see basically a bunch of guys, most guys, don't know anything about cars, right? We know the engine, we know the gas tank, we know the tires, we can switch a tire if you're good enough, uh, maybe jump start it and that, and you go up and be like, you, you have a friend that comes in or whatever, comes in with a new, a new car, be like, oh, very cool, pop the hood. And you're sitting over there and you're like, I have no idea what I'm looking at. Be like, oh, V6, uh, a cylinder, uh, engine, uh, Revan, let me hear, let me hear, push it again. Oh yeah, there's the pipes over here, the little uh, Cinderella guy over here is fixing it away. There's a magical creature over here that's poor. Uh, you know, like you have no idea, you, people are going to obsess about something 
They don't have any idea, but it's new. When it's new, you're all very interested in it. And you're polishing it and everything is all, you're putting it on a pedestal. When you have a new relationship, it's great. You know why people in the secular world go through so many relationships? Because once they, they leave that new state, they think that the love fizzle out. So it's done already. So once they get out of that infatuation state, they move on to the next thing. Meanwhile, they're just taking a car and instead of, you know, some people have a, relationship with their car, especially people that have a car for 20, 30 years, right? If the car is like choking a little bit, you know exactly what's bothering. It needs a little tea, you know, a little bit of this, and everything is okay. You hit it in a certain side over here. Shouldn't say that in a relationship, but it'll set, it'll set him straight, right? The, the, the car is straight. You, you get... When you have a good relationship, it's not just the infatuation state. They start with the infatuation state. It's great. They're cleaning every little, you know, crevice in the car and everything is great. But then they give up bored of it. Let's get to the next lease. When you, I'm not saying you should have a relationship with your car. I'm using it as an example. Um, but when you have a relationship with someone and the infatuation stage goes out, it's not when you're just supposed to go, okay, let's go to the next one. That's where you're supposed to build. That's where you're supposed to grow. That's where you're supposed to connect. That's the area of where you can tap into. So, he goes, this, this rabbi goes to this uh, student and says, you know, it's going to stay for a little bit, but it's not going to last. And he says, no, no, it will. He says, even if it lasts six months, there's going to come a time where you get used to it. And once you get used to it, it's going to fizzle out. You have this sick person that just got a new lease in life. It's going gonna, it's gonna to last. The euphoria, the happiness, the state of mind is going to last for a certain period of time, but then eventually it's going to fizzle out. It's not going to last unless you do something about it. Your happiness, you have gratitude, it's not something you could have once. You have to have it constantly, otherwise it's going to fizzle out. You're not going to be able to tap into it. And even if it's just gratitude in life, it's not enough that you would be like, okay, well, yeah, yesterday I was looking at the trees and I was like, oh, it was so thank Every single day you have to tap into what you're grateful for, for being on this beautiful earth. It's so, there's so many beautiful things. You could look and you have, you know, you, you could look at the world and you could say it's such a bad, disturbing place. And you could look at the world and say it's so beautiful, it's so amazing. And I spoke to people that, you know, like, literally, I, I could tell by how they describe something and what's going on inside. So, for example, I was speaking to, going back six, seven years, I don't know why I remember this particular case, but one of my students, and he was, uh, uh, we're speaking about having children, and he said, why would I want to bring children into this world? This world is filthy, this world is disgusting, this world has so much bad, in, you know, inside of it. And then, you know, that was, and, and right away, when you're thinking like that, so what do you see the world? It's obvious. You see the world as bad, negative. There's nothing good for you. And he was indeed, later I found out, really depressed inside. Now, speaking to somebody else, I couldn't wait to have children. But like, wait a minute, but like the world is like, but like, yeah, but like, you know, I can take them to Disneyland or whatever. Obviously, I have different priorities. But it was like, like he, there's so much beautiful stuff in the world. So if you're in a good place, then your reactions are going to be so different, so, so drastically different. You know, the, idea of having gratitude to someone in a relationship changes the dynamic of relationship not only the way that you see it but also the way that they see it so if you're great the more that some you're grateful to somebody the more that that other person wants to give to you like imagine you have two nieces yeah let's say you have two nieces and one you know every time you go visit these nieces you go and you buy them something one of them is like what you got me a banana. Uh, thank you so much. And she's a little three-year-old, cutie little girl. Thank you so much. I love it. Nonstop. And then let's call it a twin sister just to make it equally cuteness, you know, so you know, we don't have to factor that into the equation. And then all of a sudden you give her, you know, uh, whatever it is, a lolly, and be like, got anything else in there? Like, what else you got? And be like, that's it. You know, like, doesn't say thank you, doesn't care about it. Like, whatever, okay, yeah, yeah, you know, like, okay. You know, get, say thank you to your auntie. Okay, fine, thank you. And then, you know, go run around. And this little other one is looking and be like, thank you so much for my banana. You know, like, and you're sitting over there, you're like, oh, your heart's melting. Like, what do you want to do? 
Can I buy you a house, maybe? Like, or a car? Like, is there anything that you need? Do you need a kidney, maybe? Like, it's so cute. Like, look at this girl saying thank you. And the other one is like, okay, whatever. You know, like, who, you want to buy a present. Who are you going to buy a present for? You're going to buy a present for the one that constantly said thank you, not the one that constantly argued and the constantly that was depressed with you or, or, you know, like, didn't, didn't uh, register that to even appreciate what you have. In relationships, when you go and you say thank you and you appreciate the other person, that other person now wants to do more for you. Secret of manipulation, 101, right? You want to get more out of your spouse? Start saying thank you for the stuff that they're already doing. Oh, thank you. You are so strong, my dear. You could pick up that garbage with one hand. You know, like, guys in general, right, we do one trip from the car. That's it. Anything that's lost along the way, you know, it's gone. It's went into a dark hall. We go, like, and instead of, wow, you are so strong. Can you see if you could pick up the couch and I could sweep on there for a second? You're like, I think I do. And he's going to start stretching over there and be like, wow, that's amazing. I can't, so strong. You know, like, when you go and you start complimenting, especially when you start stroking a guy's ego, forget about it. He's going to be lost. Like, even if it's the most corniest thing, he's going to accept it. Like, no problem. Um, and technically, we could say the same for like the cooking, but whatever, for an opposite. But whatever. you know, like we're speaking to one gender at this point. So, but the idea is, is that if you go and you appreciate what the other spouse is doing for you, what the other parent is doing for you, what the other boss is doing for you, they want to give you more. They want to do more. So now, look at this. If you think about this for a second, look at how amazing this is. When you appreciate something, you live a better life. You live a better viewpoint of that relationship. You feel that you're the lucky one. So you're already in a happier state. And now they want to give you more. So it's like a win-win-win-win-win situation. Why four times? Figure that out. I don't know. It's weird. It's so much better when you're go and you're grateful. So it's, it, you don't lose out from it. Yet you, when we stop for a second, be like, you know how many times? And it's not enough to be like, well, he knows that I appreciate it, or she knows that I appreciate it. No, no, you have to say it. It's not enough to that. And in fact, if you say it differently every time, that's worth so much more. Imagine receiving a letter from your husband saying, hey, I just wanted to say thank you so much for making me dinner this entire week. It was very delicious. Well, probably the first thing would be like, what did you do? What is this? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, is there something? Like, this is not what, you're not normal? Like, what, what you know, like, but then when you, when he's still like, no, I just wanted to do something. I'm sorry, I heard it this year. Like, I didn't, I promise you. Like, I didn't check the bank accounts. Everything is there. You know, like, when you start, you'll be like, that's beautiful. It's amazing. And what do you want to do? Next week, you want to make him a better supper. You want to do even more for him because, like, he appreciates it. But imagine somebody that comes in, just gobbles it up, and be like, well, what else we got? Where's dessert? There's, oh, that's it? Wait, what? Oh, okay, fine. What do you want to do next? So you'd be like, yeah, go ahead. Go take out whatever it is, you know? Take him, like, leftovers that you froze from three years ago and be like, oh, this is a fresh, uh, you know, steak that you have over here. And be like, not interested. You're not interested. When you have, when you're motivated, when you're, when you're grateful, you want to do more. The... Ah... Uh, I don't know. All right, we don't do live classes that often. I'm just going to go for it. Um, you know, the no one knows what I'm talking about at this point. I, like, I'm, you know, I'm talking to myself. All right, you know, like there's two parts of a conversation that are going on over here. You just hear the one part. Okay, so I'm still not explaining it, but it's all right. Okay, so the, the you know the idea of of being married to somebody or being in a certain position in life, or being in a certain relationship, or being in a certain field, we have to realize that, yes, we do have the free will to get to where we got to, but HaKadosh Baruch Hu did end up putting us there. Now, it's very important. This is something we spoke about in the last class that we had, where you're not supposed to regret the past, like, but you are supposed to learn from the past. And you have to 
you have to realize that, yes, I, maybe I've made some mistakes in the past, but where I got to where I have right now, it's because this is where Hashem wants me to be. And that is the viewpoint that we have to focus on and we have to realize. And sometimes in marriages, it's very unfortunate where people start feeling like, okay, well, maybe... Maybe I married wrong, or maybe maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I got into the wrong field. Wrong field is easier than marrying wrong. It's an easier change. But maybe I, you know, like there's, there's so many maybes and the what ifs that fly through our mind. And the correct mindset is is yes, we have to learn from the past, and sometimes we do have to change certain things. But the correct mindset in most situations, again, not in abusive situations, is to realize that if I could, who brought you into a certain situation, then you need to be here and you have to deal with it. Now the question is, how are you going to deal with it? Completely different. But you have to appreciate the fact that. You are where you are in your life. There was a, um, there's a story going back a few hundred years ago in the, in the Yeshiva of Velazhen. Um, the, there was a person, a very high-level student that got married and then unfortunately very quickly afterwards got divorced. And the, after the, the divorce, he didn't have any children, so he ended up just you know, packing up his bags and went right back to Yeshiva and continued learning like you know, nothing happened. And he's sitting over there learning in yeshiva, and uh, a short while goes by, and there was a big gadol, a big rabbi that came in. He was looking for a shidduch for his daughter. And the second, the, the, the particular time that he came in to look to yeshiva to find a, a, you know, a good boy, the, all the lights went out, the candles bl- blew out, which never happens. The next shipment was only going to come tomorrow. They, basically, the entire base medrash was in darkness. So you had there a bunch of boys that were sitting there, and they were learning by heart. So this rabbi, he said, I traveled so far to go to this yeshiva. So he sat down just in the closest bench that he could find. And he sat and he also started, you know, learning, uh, you know, by heart. And if you just stop for a second and think of the story, like, can you start learning by heart now? Like, even, even right now, right, you just listened to 53, 58, I can't read, I don't know, it's, it's black in the thing. Uh, 53 minutes, whatever it was, until now, can you even, like, if you're walking home, can you even think about, like, some of the things that we spoke about? I hope gratitude, happiness, right? So, like, you screaming about something. But, like, you, when you think about it, can you imagine that you have to learn something so well that you're able to review it by heart? And he was sitting down, and he happened to sit down next to this particular boy who was uh, divorced. And he, this boy is sitting, and he's learning out loud, and he's, by heart, the Gemara, word after word. And he's asking questions, and he's answering the questions. He's reviewing everything, and he's reviewing everything out loud. So this this rabbi was very impressed. And... Um, so he goes to this, um, to, this, to this boy, and he wanted to say, are you single? Now, are you single is, you, there's a few ways to say it in Hebrew. You can either say, are you a bachar or you nasui? Are you single or are you married? But he said, are you panui? Panui means, are you available? For whatever reason, he said, he you know, picked that word, which is not usual. And this divorce guy says, uh, yeah, I am available. <laughs> and he says, oh, okay. And he says, what's your name? And he got the information, and he went to speak to the rabbi. And he, says, like, and he said, listen, I heard you listen to you, uh, you know, speak, you know, learn, and I'm here for a shidduch for my daughter. He says, are you interested? And he said, they, they exchanged, you know, some information. He says, yeah, I am interested. And a short while later, they ended up getting married. And the, this, this person, this, this uh, you know, guy who just got married, he's, he was saying, he says, look how God orchestrated that if the lights would have been on and he would have went to the Rosh Hashiva to say, oh, where's a good bachar? They'll never point to me because I'm a divorce guy. Like, why would they even point to me? The, all the lights were off. And not only that, he had to sit right next to me. And not only he had to sit right next to me, he had to, say, he had to use a terminology that no one usually uses. Are you available? It says, are you single or are you married? Like, that's really what you're doing. Because if he would have said, are you single or are you married? He'd be like, oh, well, I'm divorced. But he asked me, I'm available. So I said, I am available. So they started talking, and once they already got so far in, it didn't, they realized that it didn't really matter, the divorce so much, and he ended up getting married. 
Meaning that when we get to certain places in life, who we marry, where we had to live, what our positions in life when we're not married, and why we're not married, HaKadosh Baruch Hu orchestrates everything. And we have to realize that like, this is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu placed for us. Let us at least appreciate where we're holding right now. Yes, maybe we're not where we need to be. Maybe where we, and we have to do things to get there, for sure. But right now, appreciate where you're holding, where you're standing right now. Many people, most people, if I could say, in life, don't appreciate the now. They wait for the future. They wait until they buy, they get married. They wait until they get their car. They wait until they buy the house. They wait until they pay off the house. They wait until the kids move out of the house. They're always waiting for the next and they can never appreciate the now. And it's such a shame because we are in life and life is so beautiful, so amazing. And sometimes we're so stuck in the negativity that we can't even stop for a second, take a step back and appreciate the beauty that's around us. And appreciate the awesomeness, the amazingness, all the, the amazing things that God has given to us. Even you could be in the worst situation possible, I can guarantee you could find some positive things. But the people that are very negative, they will not find anything positive. I've spoken to people, and, and sometimes I stop them when they're you know, going on and on about all the I'm like, can, can you tell me, can, can you say thank you to Hashem for a few, five things? And they're like, no, I can't. I'm like, can you say thank you to Hashem for one thing? And I've had people that said, no, I can't find one thing that I'm grateful for. So obviously, they didn't think about that. And I, I would say, like, simple things, you know, like, and I've spoken to, like, very wealthy, successful people, and they had, like, one or two or three things wrong, and their whole life went down. Now, granted, I'm not judging them, because we, we can never know, like, sometimes something is really takes a person down, and we never want to be in that situation. But if we could just stop for a second, and, like, take a step back, and just look from a bird's eye view, like, yeah, you might not be where you want to be in life. But there's so many other things that you could be thankful for and you could be grateful for. And you know what happens? Just like I said, you have two, two nieces over here. And one of them is, you know, saying thank you. Who do you want to give more to? Obviously the one that says thank you. When we go to HaKadosh Baruch and we start saying thank you, you know what a school that is? You know what that school that is that you're going to go and you're going to start getting more and more if we stop for a second and say, wow, thank you, Hashem. Thank you. This is something that I, you know, like, I, I teach this to my kids. We go and whatever it is that we're doing. So if we're doing something fun, I like stop the kids and be like, kids, did you say thank you to Hashem, you know, for, for what we're doing now? And little kids, they get used to it. I'll be like, oh, and they say, so I have some kids that are very shy, some kids that are not shy. And they all like very loud, thank you Hashem for the bike, thank you. And they start, and it becomes part of who they are to just try to like think about that. Like how many times, when's the last time you said thank you to Hashem for anything? Not a day should go by, and I, I, this is something that I try, and sometimes I, I, I'll be honest, I don't always do it, but I, not a, I, I try this almost every single day, is at least to say five things that I'm thankful to Hashem for. Five things. Five things that's so easy, your, your breathing, your eyes, your ears, like there's so many, so many simple things that you could just say thank you. And you could start appreciating it. You know, like the famous story of Rabbi Victor Miller, that he went and his grandson saw him with his head underwater. And all of a sudden he came up and he's like, you know, Zaidi, what's going on? What are you doing? And he says, I was walking on Ocean Parkway and, you know, I was speaking to somebody and he said, look at all the pollution. And I stopped appreciating ear. So you know when you start appreciating air? When you can't breathe. So I put my head underwater until I couldn't breathe. And then finally I took my breath. And then you took the first breath and be like, wow, that's amazing. You know, some people have certain, you know, let's say someone has asthma and they have a hard time taking a deep breath in. And they take that medication, and they're, they're able to go and appreciate what it is to take a deep breath. You have a stomachache, and all of a sudden the stomachache goes, it stops, and be like, well, you know, like, I can really appreciate that I don't have this pain. I can really appreciate that I'm not going through what I'm going through anymore. So if we stop for just a little, and take a step back, and realize of how much we have to be thankful for, our lives are going to change. You know, Rabbi Victor Miller goes and says that our souls experience the greatest pleasure 
when we focus on the goodness from Hashem. Everybody wants to have the, you know, like the, the, the real you is your soul. You want to tap into the greatest goodness for your soul. You want, focus on the positivity, focus on the greatness and the goodness that, that God is giving you. So it's not just saying, you know, uh, it drives me crazy when people are like, I think the universe. What, what, what's it? You just say God, you know? Like, I do, no, the universe sent it. What does he, you stop being a pretend atheist, right? It's God. God sent this to you and say, thank you to God. I'd be like, no, yeah, like, okay. I think. Some people are afraid. They're afraid to make that step to say thank you, God, because then they owe God. I'm afraid, and that's why some people go, and I'm afraid to say thank you to my husband or thank you to my wife because now I owe her. Like, and I don't want to feel that way. So people hold themselves back from being grateful because of like, okay, then I'm going to owe. This is something, you know, it's your own negativity that you really have to get out of because it's going to affect not only your relationship, it's going to affect your well-being. There was a, um, I'll finish off with a story. Yeah, finish off, sorry. Um, that there was a guy who got fired from his job, and uh, he couldn't find another job. And, uh, you know, this is back when newspapers used to be delivered to the door. And uh, one day he goes and he picks up his newspaper. He's looking and he opens up the newspaper and he sees two crisp $100 bills, you know, tucked in. And he's like, wow, that's, you know, unbelievable. He takes the $200 bills, puts it in his wallet, and he continues reading the paper. The next day, the same scenario plays itself. There's $2 bills inside the newspaper. And it's like, this is unbelievable. And day in, day out, the first week, it's unbelievable. The first month, it's amazing. And, you know, he's going by two, three, four years. All his neighbors are like, how is this guy living? He's not working. And yet it always looks like he's on vacation. Like, how is he, how is he surviving? And four years go by, and all of a sudden, like, his neighbor accidentally took, you know, the, his kid took out, you know, took his newspaper. He ran over to the kid and said, I need my newspaper. He's like, yeah, just take mine, my kid. You know, so like, no, no, I need mine. He says, it's all ripped already. My kid, did, you know, threw it into the pool. It's, just, it's like, I need the paper. I need the paper. And he says, fine. He gives him this ripped, soggy paper. He opens up, finds the $200, oh, and puts it in his pocket. A few months go by, and he's going out to get his uh, newspaper, and he sees somebody that's stepping on the newspaper. And he goes and says, excuse me, can you uh, get off my newspaper? And he says, uh, he says, sure. He says, but I have a question for you. He's like, what's up? He says, how come, you know, you have never thanked me once in the past four years? And the guy says, dude, I don't know who you are. Like, who are you? He says, what do you mean, who am I? He says, I'm the guy that puts $200 every single day in your paper. He's like, oh, I, I didn't know. He says, what do you mean you didn't know? It's four years. You didn't think to wake up a little bit earlier and see who's giving me, who, if someone's giving me $200, you're not curious? Who's giving me $200 every single day? You didn't even bother for you to, to even to think about it? Four years, day in and day out, I'm supporting you. And you didn't even have a ch- the audacity, the, 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 the gratefulness to stop and realize who do I have to thank for? And he's like, I'm so sorry. And he starts thanking, you know, like him, you know, for, for everything that he's done. And he says, now, now it's too late. Now yeah, I'm forcing you to, to thank you. He says, God goes over to us and says, every single day, I don't give you $200. I give you so much more every single day. I go, and you don't stop and look, where does my blessing come from? Where, who is giving me all this money? Who is giving me all this health? Who is giving me all this happiness? Who is giving me all the food and the roof over my shoulder? Who is giving me everything that I have? If we don't stop and be like, wait a minute, God, it's you, thank you. We're not better than that guy that's getting money every single day. He doesn't even stop to realize that there's a creator. How people could go and say that there's no God is just like somebody who says, you know who puts $200 every single day? It just, you know, whatever. It just comes in by itself. There's a big bang every morning and then $200 comes in to my thing. That's how it comes every single day. Be like, that's what you think. If you can't realize that there is a God that's giving you constantly, then you're the most ungrateful person. 
Gratitude really, and really the focus of this is of course the relationships and, and everything else, but really the focus is to have gratitude to God. If you have gratitude to God, all of a sudden you can have gratitude to everybody else. The main relationship that you have is between you and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And when you're able to tell HaKadosh Baruch Hu, thank you. Thank you for everything that you've given me. I don't deserve anything. Then that's going to trickle down to your relationships. And you could go, thank you to, I, I don't know if you should tell your husband I don't deserve anything because maybe he'll get the wrong idea. But you have to go and you have to stop for a second and be like, wow, thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing the most simplest things that he would do anyways. Thank you so much for my parents that they did this. Thank you for my roommate. When you start thinking and you start having gratitude, your whole life changes. So my blessing to each and every single one of us is that may we tap into this beautiful, most powerful idea. And don't let this class go by and you heard it in one and you're not going to do anything about it. Take this class, I, I beg of you, this is going to change your life. Do it, make an alarm every single day. Do something that makes sure that you're thankful to your relationships that you have, to the, you know, your business partner, to your boss, to your employer, to, and, and of course to God. And I can promise you that your life will change for the better. You'll be a happier person. You'll be able to respond to different you know, things that happen to your life in a much more calmer and a happier way. And you will be much more successful and you'll have tremendous amount of blessings that comes in because God only wants to give every single one of us. Okay, we'll open up to questions. So God is perfect. God is helping. Why would He give you more? Like, what does the gratitude do to God? Gratitude doesn't do anything to but God. It's to you. It does to you. It's the so same thing. Why does God give you more if you're more? Because grateful. when you're, it's like a school, right? So why, why is praying? How does prayer work? Prayer doesn't go be like, okay, now you ask. Okay, so now you get it. Prayer, well, in a sense, yes, but but the, the real sense of prayer is that you change who you are. So you're changing yourself and now you're not the same person anymore. Like how does chuva work? Chuva is like you're not the same person anymore. So whenever we're tapping into these things, we're tapping into that idea that we, we, we grew in ourselves and now we got certain blessings. So you have certain schuyot. Gratitude is a, is a big schuyot. Let's put it that way. Any other questions? Okay. All right. Rabbi Victor Miller said that if you that you want to have the spiritual um, like the goodness, you want to tap into the soul being spiritually happy. That's the, that's a, you know focus on the goodness from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Dealing with abusive situations, uh, the problem is uh, when people are in an abusive situation, you should not say, "Oh, God wants me to be abused, so let me stick and be abused over here." That is not the correct terminology to have. You shouldn't be like, "Well, my husband is beating me, so let me be thankful to Hashem that I'm getting beaten every single." No, that's not the correct. You have to seek help, and you have to. There, there's obviously you went through what you went through. It was decreed from Hakadosh Baruch Hu, but it doesn't mean that you should go to the wolf and say, "Here." You want to bite? You know, you shouldn't go and obviously you have to go and speak to a rabbi, speak to a therapist, and you do have to go and, um, and, and, and really look at that from a, from a one-on-one type of, uh, you know, perspective where you speak to a rabbi, you speak to a therapist and be like, what should I do in this scenario? Sometimes it's, you have to go, you have to leave. Sometimes not, sometimes it's fixable. But it's not something they'd be like, well, Akadis Bracha wanted me to be in this abusive situation, so let me get abused. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.